And so as we continue through, we've kind of looked at a couple of scenarios. And this section is called the unjust steward. He's a man that is unrighteous. And God uses him in this illustration, and it throws so many people off, as you'll see. And I wanted to kind of bring this out first so we don't focus on it. Because it's not the point of it. God never calls this man just. He never says what he does is right. He uses it as an illustration. And sometimes he does that in the Bible. He says, even if earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more is your heavenly father? There, the illustration is, even, even when you're wicked, you know how to give good gifts. Even this wicked servant knew how to prepare for the future. And so that's where it's coming from. It's not that he's just or we should act this way or should go and you know, embezzle from your boss tomorrow and play the lottery or anything like that. Just That's not where it's at. And, and it's not a hard parable to teach when you understand that. Now, if you want to get in there and try to pull doctrine out of it, then you're in trouble. But we're just going to look at, okay, why was God sharing this? What was the point of what he was sharing? And what is the simple truth? And that, for me, is hard enough to grasp, to deal with, and let God work and walk it through my life and see how it comes out in that sense and, and just live it. And so as we've, we're going through, we've seen this parable of the wedding feast. Jesus said the, the, you know, shares a parable, a rich man, he has this wedding feast, and he invites all the guests, and the guests don't come. They all come up with excuses, you know. Hey, I, have to, I bought a piece of land, I got to go see it. I don't know about you guys, I like to see my land before I buy it, but this guy, he had to go see it. Oh, I bought some, you know, 20 mule, I bought, you know, a couple million dollars in tractors, I need to go test them. No, you test a tractor before you buy it. But they come up with these excuses, and we see the master of this feast, this wedding feast, who said, go out and find anybody, go out and find the lame and the sick, and bring them in. The people that would not be acceptable, the people that would not be acceptable in that situation, go out and get those. And then even, even when it's still not full, go out and, and compel them, find them, you know, shake them out of the bushes, just bring them in. You know, and, and that heart, that invitation that goes out to everyone and all of us. And, and it's clear that calling for God. And um, we see it, you know, to all, this calling, this invitation. And then he goes through and starts talking about... Uh, the cost of discipleship, forsaking all, forsaking your family in that sense of putting God first and foremost. And in our culture, we don't really have to do that. Other cultures are going to disown you, you know, and seeking God first and foremost and forsaking all. The, having that relationship is a primary relationship in your life. So the response to that, to for the cost of discipleship. And then we see as God, he continued on and we see the heart of God as he talks about the lost coin and the woman searching for it, the lost lamb and the lost, the prodigal child and the God's heart that we would be in that he's about seeking out the lost. That the call doesn't just go out to you, but you are to be used. You're supposed to be seeking out and his heart for those peoples. Kind of, if you would, the commission or the calling for us to do, the purpose of why we're called and what we're to be about. And... So if you were to say, you know, the call to all, to forsake all, and to love all. And this morning we're going to get into this and we're going to now see how we're going to invest in this calling. What, what is our portion? What does God want us to do? And how does he want us to serve in that sense? And how we can serve? How to give all in this service? Look with me now at verse 
uh, chapter 1 of verse six, chapter 16, Luke chapter 16, verse 1. It says, he also said to his disciples, so he's talking to his disciples here, a certain rich man who had a steward and an accuser was brought to him that he, this man, was wasting his goods. So you have Jesus, he's now at the point of not just speaking to everybody in the Pharisees. He's directing this to his disciples, to believers. He's not requiring this of people who aren't believers. It's important. He's looking at those who are following him and saying, hey, for you guys who are following, you guys have heard the call, you've counted the cost, you followed me, and you, you know my heart, this is what we're to be about. And so he brings it up and he starts to talk this parable to him. And he says, okay, there's a certain rich man, man has a ton of money, and he has a steward. And the steward has been accused of wasting his money. And very much, you know, if, if you have a lot of money, you have need for people to manage it. You know, you, you look at people like, I don't know, Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs, he went from one situation. He wasn't an accountant. He was a visionary. He was good at what he did. And he moved on. But he had people that watched his finances, helped him invest when he left Apple, invest when he comes back, and all these things. He was not watching, doing, writing every check. And you'll see that as bigger you get, if you more wealth you get, and you become a rich man, guess what? You're going to need people you can trust to manage it and watch over it. If any one of you own a business in here, the hardest thing is, who do you trust with your books and your paycheck and all that? Me, I'm totally confident, totally confident in the person running my book. She's here today. She's from Texas. She's my mother. And so, also the vice president and financially invested. So it works well. But, you know... There's a reason for that, though. There is a reason for that is because it's hard to find somebody that, number one, you can trust. Number one, knows what they're doing, right? And so there's this trust. And so he comes to the steward, and this accusation comes that he is wasting. And, and you know, when the story, there's probably, you know, you would assume, okay, if this guy's acting on it, he has good information, good intel. And in verse 2, so he calls to him, and he says to him, what is, what is this I'm hearing about you? Give an account of your stewardship for you can no longer be a steward. So he calls him in, and he, it's not like, why did you do this to me? Nothing. He's just like, why, this has happened. I'm stating this fact. You've done this to me, and now you're going to give an account. That doesn't mean I want to show your records and check them. This is, um, I want the QuickBooks password so I can give it to somebody else. I want the bank account password. Everything you have to manage my, we need a, you're cleaning out your desk at this point. This stewardship is over. This guy is supposed to go and get those things and bring it to him. It is coming to an end. There isn't an arguing. There isn't a, oh, let me go uh, tweak the books a little and, and maybe I can wiggle my way out of this. This guy knows it is time to be done. You know, if, if you're a bookkeeper and they ask you for the password to the QuickBooks, yeah. You know, it's it, just the way it goes, right? So he's supposed to give an account. This, this is times over here in the story of this man. And then the steward said to within himself, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I'm ashamed to beg. He's like, hey, the reality is I'm not in no shape. I'm not a physical man or whatever. I'm not, I'm not going to go dig a hole. They're going to fire me the first day. I don't have those talents, you know. And to beg, I'm not, I don't want to beg. I don't want to be on the street. I'd be too ashamed. I mean, everybody has looked at me this way. I'm not going to go beg, you know. And so suddenly, in the wording, it's like suddenly, boom, this thought, you know, spark blows me and goes, I have resolved to do what then I have, I'm, um, I am put out 
of the stewardship, I may receive me into their houses. I, I've resolved. I figured out what I'm going to do. I got a plan. Ha ha. You know, it's like this light comes on. So he thinks this to himself. Verse 5, and so he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the, to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said to them, a hundred measures of oil, which is about, um, looking at things, uh, about 900 gallons, okay? About, about a year and a half's wages is what he cuts this guy's bill in half. It's about three years' wages. He cuts him about a year and a half off. And so he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and write 50. And then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said to him, a hundred measures of wheat. Yes, that's gluten, guys. And he said to him, it's about, literally about eight years worth of wheat, right? Labor work. And he says to him, take your bill and write it down for 80. Let's cut it down another year and a half. So he's, he's, he's cutting these things down. And, and you, as you read through, you see many people go, well, you know, in that day and age, I would say, okay, I'm going to lease you my olive orchard or the land of the olives, and I expect a percentage back. Well, if it's a bad year and it's hard drought, you might not require the same amount of the, that person of a quantity. You know, 100 acres should produce this, but it was a drought year. So some people go, you know, this guy could have been in this guy's normal businesses to do this, to, to break these things down. It also could have been, this is his commission, his portion of what he would get paid back from the owner in a sense. You know, you sell a job, when the job's done, you get a percentage. There's, there, there's that argument, this man wasn't totally wicked stealing his stuff, but also it could be, he was just straight out wicked, right? You know, and it, what's amazing is, if you look at this from an accounting standpoint, right, if you are a, a bookkeeper, right, can you just change somebody's bill? No. But if you go to them, you say, hey, give me a new invoice with a different amount on it. That's what he's doing, right? He go, hey, we want to make sure the handwriting and everything lines up. This guy knows what he's doing, right? And we want to make sure the handwriting lines up. So instead of that invoice you gave me, let's just keep the same date and stuff, same penmanship. We're just going to change that. But that way your writing matches. There's no question about it, right? And so he sits there and goes, you know, if I, I do these favors now, I'm going to get some kind of kickback from him. And, you know, in one sense, yes, he's wise business. He's, he's, he's in a situation that's not good, and he's, he's going, okay, I'm going to, get my way out of this. I'm not going to beg. I'm not going to be digging a ditch. If he was really wise, he wouldn't have been unjust to begin with, right? But now it's all at, at risk. It's all coming to an account. And so in the sense of being shrewd, I guess is a better word than wise or worldly wisdom, he's being wise here with what he's doing. But when we look at verse 8 here, it says, so the master committed him, commended him, the unjust steward, because he had dealt shrewdly. Now, the master's sitting here, and at this point, so either he came to him and realized, man, I get, that guy's smart, or you could have said, I mean, if you sat there in a situation and you find out later, hey, you know, I fired this guy, he's still out there, he's not on the street, he seems to be living quite well. What happened? He must have done something. That snake, it could have been that kind of, come in and man he somehow burned me and got not like he praised him not like he didn't say he rewarded him he just commended him like man he got one over on me and even at the point of the story there must have been some kind of relationship or understanding and, and very much more of a personal relationship 
for what this guy did. The guy could have put him in debtor's prison. He could have had him killed. There's a lot of other things in that culture that could have happened. And many times, these stewards with the rich owner were very close. You think of um, uh, Daniel, Potiphar's house. You know, gave, trusted everything into him. You know, you talk about that kind of relationship and trust you have, and when that fails, there's still, there's a kind of relationship there. And so he commends him in the sense, it doesn't mean that this was a good act or how you should do it, but the parable is making a very simple sense thing. Here you have an unjust man who knew at a point what the situation he is in is going to end. There's going to be accounting, and when that happens, I'm going to have nothing. I better plan for tomorrow. At this point, it's coming to an end. And it says in the rest of verse 8 there, it says, For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. Now, it doesn't say in, in God's kingdom they're more shrewd, in their generation. And very much this world, the the men of this world, the businessmen of this world, when you get in and you look at business tactics on stuff, you'll have companies that are, I mean, they'll get together, they'll plan, they'll, you know, um, you, you hear things on the radio about the pharmaceutical all getting together to make money. They're very shrewd in what they're doing. They're very methodical. They have systems. You know, you sit down and you look at, you know, marketing and all the different things they do and how well they do it. Not to say their tactics are right or are godly, but they are serious about them. They are sold out and they're living for them. Their, their goal is for them. And they're willing to risk a lot based on those tactics and willing to seek those things. And he goes, hey, the, look at this world. Look at how these people are serious about the life they're going to live and the direction they're going. The, the problem is, they're not knowing when the accounting's coming. They're, they're missing the equal sign of the equation. You know, they're doing the math, and they're seeing the equal sign, but they're not seeing the equal sign in the right spot because really, the real equal sign for us is the cross when you hit, boom, here, here we are, plus the cross equals eternity. If you're not adding that into the equation, you're missing out. For them, they don't have a cross. They have an equal sign, and boom, at that point, you're going to be a whole account. You're going to have nothing left. You know, and you look at this, um, the wisdom of the world. You know, you, you look at certain businesses. Do you know Coca-Cola is more known around the world than Jesus Christ? You tell me a country you can go to where there isn't Coca-Cola or Pepsi or they're fighting. We're down in Guatemala. We're out in little villages where people are starving and the schools have sponsors. And there's a school that's going to either be sponsored by Pepsi or Coke. Why are, why are Pepsi and Coke paying for school books and little things in these countries to help them out? Well, because guess what they're doing? They're selling Coke. And mind you, the water isn't good, so you're drinking one of the two probably anyways. It's actually probably healthier than the water coming out of the ground. But they're there. They're everywhere. I mean, you, you look at some of this stuff. There isn't somewhere you go. And the world is very good at those things. And so God makes this comparison. He goes, hey, look at this unjust, unwise man. If he's willing to make this judgment, where are you at as sons of light? What, are, what is your heart? What is your direction? And in verse 9 it says, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by the unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, you may receive, may receive you into the, an everlasting home. Now this word unrighteous mammon, word mammon, we get our word money. Simple as that. 
unrighteous mammon. And, you know, you can sit there and, and you, well, unrighteous mammon and this and that, and um, you, you hear people justify, you know, well, you know, this guy who's a horse gambler, you know, he gave all this money to church, so I'm repurposing it for heaven, all these odd things that come out, you know, or ministries doing unrighteous things, like, you know, bingo night, no. I mean, <laughs> just joking. But you look at, okay, what are you doing to earn money in that sense? And, and it does come into account, but no, what we're talking about here is what was giving. Here, in this age, there is nothing that, that is righteous. There's God provides, but the ma'am and the money we have, what makes it righteous or unrighteous? It's what you do with it, right? It's how you use it. And so all these things we have and these benefits, he's going, what are you going to do with it? Where, where is it at? What are, what are you investing in? Because that accounting, that day of accounting is going to come. You know, and um, on that day, I don't, you don't take anything with you. You know, look at the pharaohs. Where's their stuff? We're digging it up, we're stealing it. You know, it reminds me, I remember hearing a story, there's a man who has this wife, his wife's very loyal, um, he made decent money, but he saved it all. He would not buy her a necklace, would not buy her flowers, when it, I mean, she had a barely scraped by, and he just saved every single dime. And she was a faithful wife, and you know, friends would go, man, why do you put up with this guy, he's such a penny pincher, this and that, and he, she goes, well, I know I'm going to outlive him, I got to outlive him, so <laughs> I'll outlive him, I'll get it all then. And sure enough, he passes away. And that day comes, and now there's the money. But right there in his will, it says that he wants to be buried with all his money. And she's like, huh, flustered at this, and it's in his will. And so she's thinking about it, and she's sitting down, and she goes, okay, well, she took his money because she didn't want him to lose his money, you know. It needed to be kept somewhere safe. And so what she did is she deposited it into a bank, and fulfilled his request. She put all the money in a new nice bank account, all safe and secure, wrote him a check, put it in the casket, and any time he wants it, he can cash that check. Until then. <laughs> yeah. So. Honorable wife. No. But you look, you're not taking anything with you. It's not going with you. And I've, I've known uh, people and men, men that have been in this fellowship, men that have done well in business and things, and as they get closer and they know that time's coming, they start to hold an account, and more important than their money, they start to look at how did I influence the people around me, how is my family, where's my kids at with the Lord and their relationship, and, you know, not the dollar amount, not their money. You know, my father knew he was going to pass away for a long time. He was more concerned with heavenly things. I was blessed to be raised with a father, knowing land was coming nearer and nearer, sooner than most, and having that heavenly mind. At first you think, oh, I want to make sure my financial family is financially well. Guess what? You realize there's nothing you can do to add to your wealth really that great without sacrificing what you're trying to save. But more important is your family and their walk with the Lord, internal salvation, those things. And so when you sit down and you look of, okay, what is value? Hold an account. And we're all going to be held in account. That day is going to come sooner than later. You know, we can either pass away, the you know, economy can collapse, you know. You look at all the debt in the United States and all these things, there's, and it doesn't even take that. A fire, there's all kinds of stuff that can take everything you have away, so use it for what God's called you to use it to. 
be wise and invest in something that has a return that's beyond measure. In verse 10 it says, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is just in what is least is also unjust in much. A simple fact, right? And, and as it, it's simple, we can say, yes, I understand that. Parents understand that, right? You even try to teach this to your kids. You go, okay, your kid comes up, oh, I want a dog. And you're like, okay, let's get a plant first. If you can be faithful, grow in a plant, and the plant doesn't die, right there. And then, you know, you go, plants are kind of hard. It's not very loving. It died. Of course it died, you know. We'll go to goldfish. You get a goldfish. The goldfish die, you know, and half of them have a life of a fly, and the other ones don't. So you can't really use a goldfish as a good measurement. So you move on to a reptile. Which, for us, a lot of reptiles became more like some kind of jerky form. They, like, dried out somehow from turtle or whatever, lack of water. You know, and, and again, a reptile is not something you really cuddle with, so there's not that connection. And so you move on to a small rodent or a small mammal, and that small mammal usually joins the other small rodents in your house somewhere in a wall or something. And so you decide to move on to a larger rodent, or, I mean, a dog or a cat or a larger mammal. And, you know, what turns out turns to take happen when you get a larger mammal for your child? You take care of it. And that's either directly or indirectly. It's not like your child wakes up and goes, oh, I need to feed the dogs and clean up the poop. No. Indirectly would mean you're telling them to do it all the time. Indirectly is you don't tell them anymore and you give up. And so... You go from these stages, you know, plant to a fish to a small mammal to a large mammal to, to taking care of it, and then they get a little human mammal after that, and it seems to work most of the time. And so, or you're just a really good grandma or grandpa. But you look at it, and, and we, you say, well, that's obvious. You know, if you're faithful of this little thing, I'll give you something greater. But how many times in our life do we do stuff with like that, right? Oh, if I get a new car, we're not going through a drive-thru anymore four, three or four weeks, and you go through a drive through You know, there's always, well, I'll change the oil more if it was a new or this or this. And we put these things off. We're unfaithful things, but we also do this with things in our lives. God calls us so many times just to be faithful in the simple things. You know, and it amazes me. I see, you know, and I think we all kind of go through different stages, but you get people, and oh, yeah, you know, I, I really want to serve in the church and this and that. And okay, well, good. When do I get to teach Sunday? Well, after church, we clean up and this and that, you know, and I've seen it. You know, there was a, uh, um, the pastor out at Calvary Chapel Oakdale, okay, Jeff Cavanaugh, very gifted accountant. We used to, in school ministry, call him Pastor Excel. He had a spreadsheet for everything. He's the master of Excel. And, but when he was at Calvary, here he's working at Gallo. He's an accountant. They mentioned that, hey, we need some accounting help in the church. So he goes up after and says, hey, I'm da-da-da-da-da, gives out his credentials, and how can I serve? And after, Damien goes, hey, over here after church, we vacuum up and clean up. So he did that for two years. He ended up eventually on staff and running the accountant. But it was, are you willing to just be faithful to vacuum? Why would I trust you with the church finances if I can't even church you, to, you know, that you're unwilling to serve in a manner and keep the house clean, you know? And, and very much you see a servant doesn't need a position or something to serve. If you say, well, I'll only serve if people notice what I'm doing, something's off in your heart. Be faithful with the little things God's called you to. And then those things, to your surprise, will increase. And more than often, as you serve and you're faithful in the little things, 
you start to find out he increases a lot faster than you would have ever liked. You know, you're like, whoa, 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 God, I just want to be faithful over here, you know. Uh, there's many times I've sat down and, you know, not be, just nothing to do with the, the fellowship here in, in UP and the people here and the blessing they are, but there's sometimes I just go, it would be so much easier just to be sweeping up around the church because realize the reward's the same, right? Being faithful and cleaning up is just the same as doing anything else, and that's a lot easier sometimes, you know? You know, people don't have a lot of expectations of you when you sweep up besides the floor is clean. You know, it's just amazing, you know? It's like this morning, I feel bad running around. I was soaking wet and everything else, and I'm just trying to get my head on straight, and I'm not saying hi to anybody. I'm going, well, you know, the pastor's supposed to be nice and smile at people, not be a stress case. I mean, or, you know, focused on other things. Sometimes you just, you feel like, yeah, there's, it would be easier just to clean up or, you know, be there. And so... Sometimes you just look at those things and you go, okay, just God, help me to be faithful. What, is there an area where I'm not being faithful in the little things? Because some of the little things generally turn out to be our first ministries are our families. And nobody in ministry, no matter what position, would ever be okay with, even if, you know, we did an outreach, 5,000 people got saved and my child's not saved. I'm not going to be concerned about a single one of them. I'm more concerned about my child. Be faithful in those little things. And so, God brings us up, and, uh, you know, some of you sit here and go, well, you know, riches and being faithful with unrighteous mammon and everything, no conviction here, look at my bank account, Pastor, we're we're good, (laughs) I don't got that much to work with, you know, and sitting there. Well, how many people had breakfast this morning? Good, all you did. And the top 5% of the world's richest people you are, if you had breakfast this morning. If you got to choose what you ate for breakfast this morning, you're now in the top 1% of the world's population for the richest people. That's the country we live in. But when you slow down and you just think of those, okay, God, what have you given me to be faithful in? You know, some of the greediest people in the world have no money. They're poor. They want it. They're looking after it. They're trying to get it. Even though they haven't gotten it, even though God hasn't, given it to them in a sense. Deuteronomy, it talks about, you know, God puts people in the situation for the righteous and money and not money and things, you know. Yes, he gives you talents, people insight into stuff, you know. But at the same time, what are you faithful with? What is the little things you're being faithful with? And so, as you sit and you look at that, and at the same time, it, it always amazes me how so many people I know that have very little seem to give a lot. And you would never expect, like, wait a minute, that person, there. You know, um, I've shared it before, a man comes to mind with me, he's kind of like, um, kind of like a grandpa in a sense. He, he uh, still at Big Bear Calvary Chapel, older gentleman, greets at the door. It was nice to see him there last time we visited and he had a tie on and the kids talking to him about his different color tie and this and that. And his name, Richard Miro. He was willing to come out all the way out to the middle of nowhere in Big Bear at the time where there was no running water and witness to my parents with the generator flicking on and off and shared the gospel with them. He is, he, the fruit and grandchildren that man has in the faith by sharing the gospel, being faithful and serving in that church is huge. He's late 60s, maybe probably 70s now, 80s. He's still washing windows to make a living, still working the ticket line at a ski 
resort. He's a minimum wage guy to this day. But yet his inheritance, the riches that he's poured in his life, is innumerable. He doesn't even know. When I go up and share with him, it's like, hey, there's this and this, this. If you only knew the effect you had on your parents that shared the gospel with me and, and this, this family has grown way beyond what he could ever imagine. And it's an awesome thing to see. And so just being faithful, being faithful with what God's entrusted with, with the truth of God's word. Verse 11. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you and trust, you, and trust the true riches? So you see this switch here. He, he kind of backs off this illustration and, and mammon and unrighteous mammon, and now he brings it into true riches. We're going from talking about just financial money, being faithful, being trusting with that, using that for the kingdom of God's glory, and he turns it around and goes, here, we're talking about true riches. You know, I, I was talking um, with Zach, and we're going over scripture back and forth, and um, it's great because he challenges me on things to sit there and reconsider and look at stuff. And, and what dawns on me is, do you realize the access we have to the Word of God compared to any other generation? How many people in this room can read? And if you can't read, you can listen to the Bible at any point. I got an app on my phone, and boom, King James, I can listen through it. Going from being illiterate to hearing a pastor once a week, if you're lucky, and, and that amount, you know, now we have the wealth of truth, and I can, you know, even when I was going through the school of ministry, I mean, we use these things called strong concordance, or the strongest, strongest, strongs, or stronger, stronger, strongs now, and it was, they don't even have them anymore, barely, because you can get on your computer, blue letter Bible, it has the thing on there, boom, pop up references and everything else, no flipping pages, you know, that, and how quick that information can be available to us. The knowledge we can have and the understanding we can have of our Savior is just amazing. We've been trusted with this great riches. And you look at the world, how they will use that same for their ability. They, 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 they do not hesitate to use the technology and everything to their advantage. They're going to use everything they can unjustly, unrighteously to meet their goals, but let's take an account of what God's had given us and how we can use it. Verse 12, it says, if you have been faithful in, or if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is yours? God has given us something that we do not, we didn't earn, we don't deserve, and we're to be faithful with it, you know, and it's not ours. None of it's ours. When you sit down and, and I'll give you a couple disclaimers here, but 10%, tithing 10%, that's Old Testament law. We're free of the law, right? So where did they, why do they hang on to that? God isn't asking for 10%. He's making it clear here. He's asking for everything. That steward is losing Everything. Prepare for what's next. Everything is yours. Everything is his. There isn't a gain or anything else you're going to have that isn't from God. Now, the Pharisees, we'll see later next week as we begin in verse 14, they get all offended at this. They get upset because 
They were about money. They were using the word of God. They were using the Old Testament. They were using religion to take people's money. And he calls that an abomination. It's wrong. And so God isn't asking you to say, oh, give 10% to the church. And the beautiful thing about being able to go through this, you know, one of those things people talk about, oh, tithing and giving to the church and these things and it being a hard subject. Um, it's not for me. At this time, it is real easy to talk about that totally unashamed. Every person in leadership in this church, including me, receives no gain, no financial benefit. There's nobody in this church on staff. Currently, at the size where it just isn't. We all go to work. We all work hard, you know. And some of us, you know, I have no problem working hard and going. And so we're not asking you to give 10% and everything you have to the church. We're telling you to lay everything you have down to Christ in submission to him and pray about how to use it. You know, if you were given, we're talking about some of, uh, you know, if you, you were given a million dollars tomorrow, what should you do with it? Pray about how God wants it to use it. He gave it to you. He wants you to use it. He's entrusted it with you. Bless it. If he's given you $10, pray, with, <laughs> pray about it. See how he's entrusted you to use it. What has he called you to do? And it's kind of interesting. Um, when you look at it, it's not even just 10% of your money. When he turns this around and he says, hey, true riches, you know, not 10% of your money, but it's all your money, all your time, and all your heart. And um, it, it's not yours. Isn't that a weird thought? Your money is not yours. It belongs to God. He's died on the cross. He's paid for you. It's his. You're his servant, a bond servant. Everything belongs to him. If you've come to that conclusion that God's Lord of my life... You're not Lord of your life. That means you're a steward of what he's given you. Everything. Not just your money, though. Think about that. Not just your house and your possessions. Your time and your heart. And see, the, the heart, you know, as you, you walk, some of these things become real to you. Things you've known, but then there's things now I've walked through that. God's walked me in that situation. Um, and, and this came evident to me and my wife very clear with two things. Once we, we had some people in our house and people are going, you know, they're talking to us and this and that. And, and my oldest, some of you guys know, high function autism has hearing. You can be three miles away and he's like, huh. He's like, why are you in this conversation? Get out of it. Real sharp. And he, and he you know, somebody goes, oh, you have them in your house and this and this and this. And he just responds with the way you saw it. It's not our house. It's God's house. And of course, we have to keep it clean because it's not our house. You know, if it, if it was our house, maybe I wouldn't have to keep it as clean, was his conclusion at the time. I don't know, he's probably 12. That's not our house. And it dawned me, no, we've had people in our, our house. No, we've had people in our stewardship. It's not our house. Whoever he puts in, whatever room he puts it in, however he wants to use anything we have, it's up to him. I'm supposed to be a faithful and good steward of it. So I get a room and I get to manage it. Yay. No. But then sometimes you go, well, put another manager in there. Just give me the room. No, but you sit down and you look at it. You know, we're looking at getting projects done in our house, wanting to move this way. And me and my wife joked around and said, well, what are we doing? They've got these people we're helping out and stuff. And it's like, you know what? We'll just give them the house and we'll move out. Let the kids say, hey, you guys want it? You're 18. You're graduated. Get a job. It's yours. Um, 
I mean, you can manage it. We'll just go, you know, live in a trailer behind the church and we'll be happy. Um, <laughs> not that we don't love our kids. It's just you look at, hey, this takes work to manage this thing, you know. It would take some off our plate not to manage it. But you sit there and you look at it. That was one way. The other way is when you pour into somebody's life. They come into your house, and, and I'm sure foster parents know this well. You know, you bring children into your house, you love into, on, into them, you treat them like your own children, and through whatever circumstances, God removes them. And it hurts, and it's hard to see, and it's hard to watch, and you worry, and it's like, well, next time am I going to be just as loving? Yep. You know why? Because my heart isn't my own. I don't have a choice in doing it. God tells me to be loving regardless. It can happen in ministry. You know, some people say, you know, the sheep in the body, they're like little ninjas, you know. The person you love on the most probably has a knife in your back. You just haven't found it yet. You hear these things. Guess what God calls you to do in that situation? Continue to love them anyways. And explain to them, that's a knife and that hurts. Doesn't feel comfortable calmly. You know, how <laughs> you look at requirements of ministry. Like, ah, how do you do this, Lord? Because He's given us everything. It's not my heart. That's why I can do it. If I go, well, I can't believe that person wronged me. Did they wrong you? No, it's not your choice. It's not your heart. God, if anything, they've wronged. If I'm doing what's just, then they're wronging you. Or it's my flesh getting in the way, and I need to repent. He requires all of us, a hundred percent of us. And when you look at that and you slow down, um, there's blessings with that. You know, in verse 13 it says, no, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love another, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. There isn't a you can kind of, you can try, you might pull it off. You cannot. And so the question, as we sit up and look at this, this parable, is who do you serve? Where is it at? Where is your time? Where is your value? What are you putting value in? What are you investing in? You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not 100% on with the health and wealth doctrine. You know, if you seek God, you're going to always be healthy and you're always going to be wealthy. I'm not... I agree with a lot of it, okay? I agree if you seek God and you give everything you have to God, you entrust your heart and your life to him, and you have faith in what he's going to do, faith to where it's unwavering, you're willing just to trust him no matter what, he is going to bless you tenfold, he's going to bless you a hundredfold, he's going to bless you a thousandfold, just not here, just not now, just not in this body, on this earth, right? Health and wealth, yeah, heaven's going to be awesome. I'm not going to get sick. I'm going to be blessed way beyond anything I ever invested in it. The math works out really good in that situation. Right now we're called, yes, there's going to be sacrifice, there's going to be suffering. On this earth, if you serve the Lord and you sacrifice, guess what we're guaranteed? We're guaranteed peace and trials, hope and pain, joy and suffering, there's your health and wealth for you, okay? But you slow down and you look at that and you go, okay, that is the equation. It's just not here and not now. You got the cross and then for eternity we have all this benefit and the equation doesn't end. There isn't an equal sign. And when you slow down, you think of that and it's a real challenge sometimes. I know I can get distracted by things. 
Start looking at stuff. Good. I go on tangents. I get in, I mean, there was, a, there was a time I probably bought and sold over 150 cars in a year. So I'm down to probably 14. No, I don't know. <laughs> no. But, you know, there's times I go on things. I, you know, get excited about stuff, airsoft or whatever, and I'll, you know, it's like, well, God, check my heart. Where am I spending time? Where am I focused? And it's easy to get distracted by those things, get our focus off. But if we really sit down and we look at things and we go, okay, what's right in this situation? I deserve to go to hell. I deserve eternal punishment now. That's what I've earned. This is what God's given me, eternal life and joy in this truth, and this is what he's entrusted. So how's that equation working out for you in light of the reality of who we are? You know, we sometimes, I don't know how this happens as believers, you know, it's obviously a total mystery to me, maybe you guys can figure out, how somehow we forget what we're sinners saved by God's grace. Suddenly we think he's got some kind of special deal. I, I, you know, I have a hard time understanding that until I look at myself in the mirror. Then I go, oh yeah, I remember who you are. You know, we, we forget you're sinners saved by God's grace. There isn't ever a time in your life that God loved you any more or less. When you're out doing drugs and you're a sinner and you're a horrible person or you're a self-righteous little Christian kid grazed in the church, whichever your background is, he loved you just as much then as now. How do you grasp that? Somehow we start thinking, well, you know, I've been this, I've been doing good, I've been this. He's not Santa Claus. He's always loved you. And you're forgiven and everything we have good is from him. And so how don't you give everything back? You know, and, and it's really hard to get offended when somebody, you know, oh, you know, they what? Hit your car. It's not your car. It's Cud's car. <laughs> you know, when you slow down and look at things, it really chills, makes you chill out about everything, right? It's like, you know, we, the, when we, we sat down and we opened the roofing company and we were putting together a corporation, there are so many things that can happen. This last storm has caused a lot of things to leak, even here. And it's like, why all winter now stuff gets leaking, you know? Well, what if a warranty? I mean, I've done roofs over millions of dollars pieces of equipment. If it fails, takes that out, there it goes, right? I've, I've known this. I've ran companies that fear, running out in the middle of the night, taking care of stuff, trying to manage what's going on, you know, hoping everything turns out right and trusting employees. So when we opened this company up, we we're trying to come up with a corporate name. My mom came up with it. It's Renee, R-I-N-A-Y. It's all caps. Remember, it's not about you. That's it. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's God's. Let him have it. Let him deal with it. Let him stress over it. And every day I have to remind myself that sometimes. You know? But you sit down and we look at these things. We look at the simple example of the servant. And when you really slow down and go, okay, there is a time coming where we're going to give an account. The Bible says this life is like a vapor. Cold morning, you that's your whole life, it's gone. Invest why you have time. Invest why you have time in what he is doing before it has gone. Take the time to invest in those who are around you and love them. And again, God's provided for this church. He always is. He always provides faithfully. He provides for each and every one of us in ministry through our jobs. I mean, I've, I've learned that. That's the hardest thing, owning your own roofing company. I'm glad I'm not a farmer. That'd be even scarier. You know, if it rains, doesn't rain, all the other, you know, farmers have way more faith than me. But, you know, one week I won't have it. The job signs, now I got too much work. And I'm, you know, you know, last week, well, not last week, the week before last week, I'm going, man, we need to get some jobs signed. Okay, so that was two weeks ago. 
The next week I'm going, whoa, I got too much to do. That's the thing, you know. I feel like a little child with God. Now you're complaining, I give you all this work, you know. It's turned a lot of just me. I know you guys never do that, so. But so just we look at this and we sit down and we give an account. And there is, you know, what if you don't? There's going to be that time. You might have time to reflect before you have to give an account. And I want to look back and go, God, I wish I would have. No. If you serve God and you're trusting it to God and you're following him, you're not going to have a regret. Anybody ever look back and go, oh, you know, in that situation, I wish I would have been more in the flesh. I wish I would have been so much more selfish in that situation. It would have turned out so much better if I was just straight out selfish. I mean, I can't come across one. I haven't come across one yet. So, let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you just love us so much, that you've entrusted us with so much, so many blessings, that you've entrusted us with our families, with our children with the resources to take care of them, Father, that you've entrusted us with just the truth of who you are, that we get to be light into the world. And that we, in return, can just turn and entrust everything to you. That you know our heart's desires, that you know our weaknesses, that you know the future, that you you know what's best, Father. Help us just to... Rest in knowing that you love us, that we can trust everything to you, that we would hold all things loose. God, we just pray that as we seek you each and every day, you would just reveal, Father, to us your plan, your will, how you desire us just to serve and sacrifice for you. In Jesus' name, amen.